Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the privilege of being in conversation with the new director of the American Visionary Art Museum, the AVAM, here in Baltimore. Please welcome Janine Whitfield. Thank you so much, Rob. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you on here. Um, this is this is going to be great, and almost as a testament of how long that uh, I've been doing this, that I've gone, I've done interviews with the, the the inaugural, the introductory director and founder, and all, and now with the the new founder. So it's like this bridging this bridging period. This feels really great. It's really a privilege. Yeah, yeah. it's exciting for me too. I have to say. So, be, before we get too deep and I like to start with a thing that some people might find frightening, but some people are like, tell me more. I can do the whole podcast this way. Tell me the Dr. Janine Woodfield story. Oh my gosh. Well, so um, I am a doctor of metaphysics and that is not a PhD. That is a DD, which is doctor of divinity. Mm. And um, in essence, um, first of all, let's just completely take the eraser and erase the whole religious aspect of that. Yeah. And let's focus more on the whole idea of spirituality and um, it not being as common as most people think. I mean, because I'll give you two little examples that I think would be helpful. Um, if we think about the human anatomy or the human being, we know that we are, in fact, spirit, soul and body. Yeah. Now, the spirit is first. The soul is second and the body is third. As human beings, we tend to focus only on the ladder, the lowest rung on that ladder, which is the physical aspect. But we are a whole human being. And so my work in metaphysics just basically deals with those things that are not physical, such as love. Mm -hmm. What color is it? such as beauty and within whose eyes such as justice we're fighting for it right now how about equity what does that look like these are attributes of powerful powerful dynamics that we work in every day but don't really give the thought to sure. as it being a part of spirituality so they're in the work that i have been doing in the arts um, I could not do the way that I have done it if it were not for um, my my study. That's and and I read that that's like and I I have like an interest in that area. So maybe that's a continuing conversation we'll have at another time because I feel like sure. there may be a book in my studio that says Metaphysics for Dummies. <laughs> so <laughs> I you know. <laughs> um, so in, in in connecting and bridging that to your work, um, tell me about like you could you describe like your fascination with art, how it relates to your fascination with art? Well, actually, you know, herein again lies uh, tipping into the study of metaphysics. Listen, as far as natural and, and physical is concerned, I was just doing the everyday go to work. Um, climb the corporate ladder thing that everybody in my family thought I should be doing until I took a wrong turn or a seemingly wrong turn down this street called Heidelberg in Detroit and entered into this explosive, you know, world of color, mm. something like I had never seen before. And that literally changed my life. So 
now at this point when I entered or met my, um, well, he's my husband now, but at that time when I met the artist Tyree Guyton and turned down Heidelberg Street, I was completely thrown off of my trajectory. And I was thrust into a new way of thinking, a new way of of, of uh, functioning and focusing. And little old me, I just thought, well, um, I can, I can, I can do something here. <laughs> um, and a year later, I gave up corporate America, fourteen years, profit sharing benefits, to help a man build his vision and his dream. And that has been my work for the last 29 years. And uh, my my next move was Avam. So, <laughs> so you can kind of get an indication that I literally, the work found me. Yeah. And because it was so dynamic, because it was so challenging, because it was so rich, it gave me an opportunity to really put into practice the things that I had been learning. That's 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 wonderful. And thank you for for sharing that and showing those those connections. Um, so in this this period of, you know, you know, 20 plus years at this point, mm-hmm. uh, tell me about some of those proudest moments that come to mind and in, in being the, in the art world or what have you and being in these like president and the CEO roles. Well, you know, I'm the founding director and president of the Heidelberg Project in Detroit. So first of all, I want to say I completely relate to Rebecca Hoffberger and, um, you know, giving birth, incubating something, true innovation. You know what I'm saying? So what allowed me to finally move away after 29 years, that's a long time. Yes. (laughs) And you think most people don't spend that much time in a career, but this is because we're giving birth to something that had never been done before. There was no precedence for it, number one. Number two, we're doing it in a world that is not always receptive to innovation by people of color. Mm. Number three, we did it in one of the most broken down, beat down areas in Detroit. So we had a lot of cards stacked against us. And so the journey was really about what it would take to get this particular art environment that was attracting people from around the world that is responsible for what is known as Detroit's arts renaissance today. What would it take to get the powers that be in this city to accept it and it become a part of the cultural fabric of Detroit? And that happened in November of 2021, where Tyree Guyton and myself had been finally, after the project is 36 years old, 29 of those years are mine. But after um, that length of time, we were granted a Lifetime Achievement Award for that work. Wow. If that had not happened, I'm not (laughs) sure that I would have left. Um, So now it's time uh, to pass the reins or it's time to give hand the reins over to the next generation and Mm -hmm. step into my next new, if you will, um, trajectory. So so with that, that feels like a natural segue to this next question. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
tell us about the feeling in, in coming into the AVAM and, you know, as the, the second director in its history, you know, tell mm-hmm. us about that feeling. And I have some secondary and tertiary bullet points here, but I at least want to start there. Okay. Well, you know, I did not apply for this job. Um, someone else put my hat in the ring. <laughs> so I was not looking for a change or a career change. I wasn't. I felt like the Heidelberg project would pretty much take me to my grave, as my mother said. <laughs> um, so, But someone put my hat in the ring, and I thought, oh, no, I don't think so. And she said, well, can you just put, this is the headhunter. She said, can you just send me your credentials? And I did. <laughs> And um, and then she said to me, would you just do me a favor? And I said, what? She said, would you just visit the museum? <laughs> and I did. Yeah. And I spent three hours in that museum alone because it was closed. And I fell in love. And I'm looking and I'm paying attention to the energy. But what I think um, was really um, powerful to me was Again, going back to the metaphysics, paying attention to the serendipitous energy yeah. that took place. Um, the, the design of the American Visionary Art Museum was so similar to a concept that we had in Detroit to build our art center that even Rebecca was blown away. The circular design of Avan. Yeah. I have a blueprint of a circular design for our art center that was to happen in Detroit. So that was the first thing. The other thing that was really uh, amazing for me was I stayed in the Royal Sinesta and I was awakened at 5 a.m. in the morning and there was a star that was so bright, I thought it was a street light. (laughs) And I was awakened to look and and give uh, respect to this bright star that was in the sky off the harbor. That was the second thing. But then when Rebecca said to me, she said, I knew before she met me now, she said, I knew you were the person for this job from the vibrations of your cover letter. Wow. So now all of a sudden I'm thinking, am I going to have a career change? Is this (laughs) really happening? So it was more of me stepping into um, and being open to step into change yeah. um, when you're not expecting it or when you're not pushing for it, you're mm-hmm. allowing what is natural to happen, like flowing with a current. So that's how it happened. That's that's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to say I always look back at that interview that I did with Rebecca more than a year ago at this point, almost two at this point, and just... I, I was kind of looking for footing, right, as to mm-hmm. how I was going to do these interviews. And and that that's the one that was just really a conversation. It just, yeah. I, I think it wasn't even any real questions that I have, or maybe the questions became secondary to just having the conversation <laughs> and trying to pepper it in. And it, and it, it was funny because uh, she looked up like me. She researched me beforehand, which people rarely do. And she was like, so I read this in your bio. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's, that's an old bio. Thank you. For, and she was like, I looked it up. It was really funny because mm-hmm. I referenced different comedians that I liked and just different things about me. And 
you know, it felt more like a, a conversation. And and I saw her recently and getting the whole best of Baltimore and the party there at the Ava. I, I was able to see her recently. And, you know, sometimes people don't remember me. I'm very noticeable, but sometimes people don't remember me. And uh-huh. she happened to see me and my partner in the line. And she's like, you two have the greatest smiles. And I was like, oh, it's, it's Rebecca. <laughs> and it was really, it was really cool. It was really cool. And I'm glad yeah. that that's part of that experience that that you had um in coming into this this really like great situation i would imagine um so tell me about coming into a a a role like baltimore and i think different cities have this sort of when change happens it's like all right what's this change gonna look like and things of that nature how will you make your mark in such a beloved destination while keeping this history and culture like like there? Like how we move forward and innovate while being familiar and staying with the ethos of uh, the event? That's a really good question, Rob. And I'm going to say this to you. Um, I, I, I want to just say that, first of all, people will say things like, well, Baltimore has a lot in common with Detroit. Detroit has a lot in common with Oakland. And I think about these kinds of comments and I think about them from the perspective of what people are really saying is that we have a high population of African-American people. Yeah. Um, and so the landscape of Baltimore doesn't look anything like the landscape of Detroit. <laughs> and I think, you know, the, the saying goes that you can put Baltimore or not Baltimore, maybe, I don't know, but Boston, San Francisco and one other city in Detroit. It's so big. Wow. Detroit's huge. So the the culture is very rich in 2022. Now, this is very interesting and this is dynamic and I'm not gonna go into too much detail, but I will say this. If we research further back than just the last four or 500 years, we're gonna find that all races of men colors of men have had an opportunity to rule dominant in this world. And so right now we're seeing a major shift happen in 2022, where what is really starting to dominate is what touches people's soul. And I want you to think about the hip hop culture and the way and how that grew out of, now herein lies more metaphysical principles. That grew up out of chaos, and it grew up out of um, hardship. It's like a diamond and polishing that diamond. And so now you've got a hip-hop culture that has affected the whole world. Somebody, I don't care what their race is, can find find something in the hip-hop culture that they can relate to. So what is that telling us? That's telling us that somebody found a culture that touches the soul. We're moving moving away from that physical aspect of just being about things, just being about the physical, just being about, you know, buildings and hard things. And we're starting to tap into the soul. That's what hip hop did. And it grew up out of hardship. So that culture is what is permeating all major cities where you find the um, richness and where you find, and and others are attracted to it because you know why? Because everybody has a soul. Right. So now you see that is starting to dominate and we're seeing a shift, a pattern. And when that, that kind of thing starts to happen, we're going to see a lot of chaos and a lot of fallout from that. 
Hence our, our, our young men being chased and beat down by the police. You know, it's mm -hmm. a civil war, so to speak. Right. As we move into our next evolution of change. That's yeah. what this is really about. So that, to answer your question about keeping the, um, the culture and the ethos going, it is how I was able to leave Detroit. I don't own anything or, you know, like I am really a part of this change and geography is irrelevant. It's a movement and it's a movement that's happening out of the African-American culture, but it is a movement that is touching all cultures. Thank you. <laughs> I'm over here kind of like I had, to, I had to turn the camera off because I'm over here getting like the chills a little bit. I was like, OK, I'm, I'm feeling you. <laughs> I'm feeling you on that. And, and, I, and I think I have a sense of where this next question kind of looks, but because I, I have a take on it that I, I read recently and I was like, oh, race is a piece of this. But I, I want to get mm -hmm. your take on it. Um, what are your thoughts on the term outsider art? Like how, how that's like dealt with, how it's presented. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, first of all, Rob, I don't really uh, subscribe to outsider art as much as I do intuitive or visionary art. Because, mm -hmm. you know, there's many terms that um, people have, uh, scholars or, or critics have uh, ascribed to this particular art form or this manner of creativity. Sure. So the way I see it, though, is that it always starts with the premise that what you're doing is so powerful and so dynamic that you just have to do it. Yeah. Now, there can be artists that are trained that feel that strongly about what they do. And there can be artists that are untrained. And when I say trained and untrained, I'm talking about through the academic institutions. Mm -hmm. And there can be another artist or another creative uh, person that can do that work and feel just as strongly and rich about it. Now, who are the people that draw the lines of demarcation? I'm going to tell you a joke. My <laughs> husband said, and my husband said they're failed artists. <laughs> so <laughs> they, everyone's a critic, right? It's kind of they kind of justify their existence some kind of how, some kind of way. But I mean, that's funny. But you know, I think people are sincere in the fact that they are trying to um, make. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's it's really just making lines of demarcation that all boils down to dinero, the money, yep. the mm -hmm. money. Um, and but what we're talking about, let's go back to the soul. We're talking about something that was so rich when I walked in Avam and saw the richness of that work and read some of those stories. Hey, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But yeah. I could probably do that, too, with an artist who's trained. So in other words, you know, the work, the, the wheel that I'm rolling with right now is the visionary artists, those that are called the visionary, the outsiders. That's the wheel I roll with mostly because my husband, who's an artist in Detroit, he was trained, but he said he wanted to get everything he learned in exchange for the richness of the lessons his grandfather taught him. So yeah. there you have it. That's how, those are my views. I hope that makes sense to you. No, it, it does. And, you know, I, I always look at kind of what I'm doing in this space. Like, 
you know, there are some people say, oh, well, this isn't art and this isn't this, this isn't that. And I'm like, why isn't it? Doesn't it meet this? And having that that courage or that desire to create and to help facilitate in storytelling or do this with a more artistic mentality, like, you know, there is a lot of erasing, if you will, and those imperfections and all of these different things that I in all of these interviews that I do with artists that I'm hearing that overlap or and there's a curatorial component to I'm not talking to everyone. I'm very intentional of who I talk to and and how I want to talk to them, but definitely feeling like an outsider and not going to like a media school or something like that. And my, my degree is in business and, yeah. <laughs> you know, really trying to pursue this out of my own like interests and desire. Um, and, you know, as I was sharing with you before we got started, that this was something that I was like, this needs to be heard. And I don't really care what comes out of it, but this needs to be heard. That's what was driving it, you know, mm-hmm. and having that desire to, to share a story and talk with interesting people. I think, you know, being able to talk with interesting people makes me feel a little bit more interesting. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. ask you some interesting questions. Yeah, that's 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 powerful. And I think that that's what's true for me. I mean, I, I was going through the humdrum every day going to work at the bay in the banking industry. I was so bored. I would move from position to position. I think I had like seven or eight positions in that 14 years. And um, but then when I turned on Heidelberg Street and met Tyree and got into this world of art, when I would stand on stages and give or give talks or lectures, I would say I've had butterflies in my stomach for 20 years, 25 years or however many years. And that is a place of magic. Mm -hmm. You see? Yeah. And if we deny that. Then we are not we are only existing. We're not living. 100%. And I I had an interview earlier today where I I told the guest, I was like, you know, I'm just shy, right? And he was just like, no, you're not. Or, and I was like, oh, in this capacity, I, I am very confident in what I do. But Mm -hmm. if it's like, hey, get on stage and do a speech or do a presentation (laughs) for like businesses, it's like, no, I got nothing. I got nothing for you. But (laughs) my energy kind of pops you know, when yeah. I'm doing this thing that I'm so invested in and so comfortable with. So yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm all aboard. And, and Rob, I have to tell you, see, now I'm looking right at you uh-huh. and I feel that soulfulness <laughs> in what you do. So, I mean, and you can also tell when a person is stoic and they're just frozen in something that they do where there's no passion, there's really no real love. They're just existing. They're just going through the motions. Now, what concerns me is now how we reach our young people mm-hmm. and help them to discover their real, their voices uh, in a world that seems to have gone mad, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah. you know, there are a few opportunities. And, I, and I'll say um, a few months ago, I had the opportunity to go back to my high school. And I hadn't, it hadn't been there in like 20 years. So, and I realized that in the middle of speaking with some of the students there, I was like, I haven't been here since, you know, 2003. And I thought about it. I was like, most of you were born after 2004. I am old. That was literally what popped in my head. And, you know, just really trying to get across a point, but also not, you know, being old man podcasts and like, you know, hey, your creativity matters in this way, but really impressing upon them that it's important for you just to have the courage and the desire to create and then make those make those mistakes, do that yes. play, but figure out what that path might look like for you. And 
avoid those avoid those trends or what have you unless it's really interesting to you mm-hmm. and try to make your own lane and have the courage to do that because um you know when i look at starting this i used to hear some of the goofiest things of oh you're a podcaster you do what fake radio you talk to yourself on a microphone you live in your mom's basement and now <laughs> it's a huge industry so it's uh-huh. it's really weird it's like it's like bo derrick and corn rolls but hey what do i know <laughs> that's funny <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I got I got two more real questions for you before I before I um, hit you with these rapid fire questions. Sure. I, I want to talk about um, uh, creative perfectionism. Like in in the in the time you've spent in the art world or what have you, and observing and, and being married to an artist, tell me about like how like that perfectionism like impacts their work, whether for better or for worse. I hear about mm-hmm. painters all the time that mm-hmm. they aren't really done with the painting; they kind of just stop. They're always painting. <laughs> and I used to be that way with doing a podcast, doing the soundscaping and such. Let me remove every um, and I would realize I'm losing something of the energy of that conversation. So, so tell me about that. Well, I think that has to do with control. Um, we're control freaks. And we <laughs> need to learn how, seriously, we need to learn how to let go. And I'm just telling you now about it um, because at, at this particular stage in my life, I'm just now starting to catch on to it. So, but I do think that there was something, the two things that come to mind. One is um, my husband would often quote Picasso who talked about, we have to, when we lose our childlike quality, we lose the magic. That's the first thing. The second thing is when I was first introduced to the Heidelberg project, my and my husband said, will you help me? And I said, no, because I don't understand what you're doing. And um, he said, can I perform an experiment? So he gave me paint, paper, pencils, and sat me on the floor like a child. And then he blindfolded me and said, now paint what you see. Okay, that painting that I created from that experiment follows me wherever I go. Because, and I called it courage, because in that I had to, I had no physical eyes to see. And so I had to come from, here we go again, a place of the soul. Yeah. And that was so dynamic. But in essence, when an artist, to me, when they say um, a painting is never done, they're striving for something that they will really never achieve because it's not about real perfection. It's about their control. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Ain't no perfect nothing except, uh, <laughs> you know, just... It's just, it just is, and we just move in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a perception. That's my point. It's a perception. Yeah, totally. I, I, I agree with that. Um, so the last question I have here, and, 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 we, and we, I think we're speaking in general terms here. Do you think um, creativity is something that people are innately born with? Because that, that notion of uh, children are creating and, and things of that nature. Or is it something that it's generally just curated, I mean, uh, cultivated rather mm-hmm. through through education, through experience? Or is it somewhere in between? No, for me, it's innate. It's in there. Case in point, Rob, again, Heidelberg taught me so much <laughs> and it really just blew up my metaphysics. Um, you know, when I graduated high school, the, the role my sister and I had a plan, we'd go into the Air Force together on the buddy-buddy system. Mm-hmm. And it blew up. So I had to come back home and she went ahead to do four years. And that was my first poem I wrote called Fright. 
Because all of a sudden our plan, I'm just a young girl, just 18 years old, the plan blew up. And so I wrote this poem. But then I listened to people and they said, well, just go on, get, get in school, get you a good job. I did all those things. Good. So I wrote my first poem at 18 and my next 300 after I met Tyree Guyton and turned down Heidelberg Street. Wow. There's the proof. So I am living proof of the transformative power of authentic creativity that comes from a place of the soul. And it's in every one of us, going back to Picasso's statement, when we lose that childlike quality and we start becoming scripted, we start becoming curated, you know, we lose some of the magic. Now we can get by, but is there real real um, love and happiness out of that? Or is it you just existing? We're really good at faking it at times. Yeah. And I, I like to ask that question of how does one tap back into that like childhood, like that childlike energy to create and mm-hmm. that sensibility? Because there there are so many different things that that happen of I wanted to be when I was younger, this this is ridiculous. I wanted to be a comic book artist and an astronaut at the same time. Like I don't know how it's gonna happen. It's just like a lot of a lot of drawings of the moon is fine. And, you know, but th- that's that's what I was into. And that, that's what my interests were. And I think however grand it might be of there's no nose when you're younger, you know, like at least in your own head. And as you get older, there's I, I think all of this sort of chatter and noise around you. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Or you got to do something yeah. that's sensible and that the die that the die. And I think that there is a a fair amount of courage and maybe coupled with some fear when it comes to pursuing art as a, as a lifestyle, as a career, because I think the the courage is to create and the fear is what if this doesn't go well? What if I can't make rent or what if people don't like my work or what if I stop liking my, liking my work? That's very true, Rob. And I'll tell you something though. There's a group of people, a group of young people that are already stepping into that. They're, they're, they're fumbling along the way. Mm-hmm. But that's what's happening. It's that shift that I was talking about yeah. where people are saying, like, look at what happened after COVID. People didn't go back to their regular jobs. A lot of True. people started to do their own thing. And they're like, I can bake cupcakes and sell them. Or I can, you know, and then so now we've got this shortage in the workforce. Mm-hmm. So just pay attention. See, we see what's happening. And what I'm telling you now is that people are starting to live more from the level of the soul but what's happening is there's a lot of fallout as a result of that. But we're on the move, darling. We're getting ready to do some real dynamic humani- humanitarian types of shifts. Yeah. And it's it's very powerful. That's wonderful. And I think I think that's the spot where we'll stop on the real questions. I think that's uh-huh. I think that's really good. Um and I want to dive into a couple of these rapid fire questions. They're they're brief questions. Brevity is key here. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink mm-hmm. them. Pe- people get caught on peanut butter sometimes. There's a peanut butter question in here that'll knock your socks off. Uh, in moving here, transplant into Baltimore. So Baltimore isn't necessarily home for you. But you did touch on this idea of locality. You're you're irrespective of that. How do you bring the concept of of home with you? Like how do you describe home and how do you bring that concept of home with you? I gotta tell you, it goes straight to the heart. The things that I have accomplished and done are with me mm. in my in my soul. And then I can take that anywhere. That's great. What is your favorite lazy night dinner? Oh, favorite lazy night dinner. 
Some people are uh, like, I want ramen. And, you know, other people are like, hey, I got these microwavable burritos. And it's just like, I'm not going to, it's been a long day. I need to eat uh-huh. something, but I don't have like a couple hours to roast a chicken. It's probably going to be a kind bar. I'm going to be honest, because if I, <laughs> if, if I got to even cook it, it's a problem. <laughs> it's got to be something I can open and pop in my mouth and feel a little satisfaction. There it is, a kind bar. <laughs> I, I like kind bars. I'm a big fan of that. What is it? The, uh-huh. the dark chocolate and the sea salt one? Yeah. It's yeah. a good one. It's last. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite color? Um, I Here I go. I love peacocks. All those colors in the peacocks, feathers, yeah. just turn me on. But, you know, like, I love color in general. I don't have a favorite. It's it's. I just don't. I dig it. Um, mine's usually gray and I have always, I was like, yeah, you know, it's just neutrality right there yeah. in front of you. Uh, what is the last movie you watched? Oh, the last movie I watched again was Forrest Gump. Okay. It's classic. It is. Uh, the message though is profound. Yes. Yeah. And There's that childlike quality. Yes. Right. <laughs> 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 so this this is the last one, and it's I always get interesting answers on this one. Um, what is your if if you're you're at like you know Avan? There's there's this thing. It's like, hey, we need to get Dr. Janine on here. We need her to do a karaoke song. What song are you performing? Oh my gosh, I'm gonna probably perform this stupid crazy song by Marlena Chavez, ancient in the '70s, called "Go Away, Little Boy." Because <laughs> I, I still know all the words, you know, I, I have a wicked sense of humor, but um, I still know all the words to that crazy song. That's it. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's always those ones that you're like, I remember all of these lyrics. Like, why do yeah. I remember each one of those? Like this morning, um, what, what was it? Uh, I was walking back from getting coffee and I just suddenly started singing the lyrics from Whitney Houston. So emotional. And I was like, wow, oh. why do I know all of these lyrics? I was like, I just learned this song like last year, even though it's oh been out forever, obviously. But, you know, it's just certain things that are knowledge gaps for me. And I was like, wow, I remember these lyrics. I mean, I must have listened to this song a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you're going to have to look that one up. Young Go Away Little Boy by Marlena Shaw, because she's doing rap in the first part of the song. She's running her mouth. She's <laughs> nice. talking first. So it was before rap was even... <laughs> telling you it's crazy i'm gonna look it up yeah. uh so with that um that's pretty much all of the questions that i had for this afternoon well yeah this afternoon mm-hmm. and i want to invite and encourage you to tell the listeners where they can uh check out the avam the social media in person all of that good stuff the floor is yours oh well thank you so much for that uh rob i want to first off say that we just mounted our newest exhibition called abundance too much too little just right and that opened last friday so i'm i'm hoping that people come out and see this wonderful um exhibition that was curated by um really um uh this was really rebecca's protege mentee gage and i'm gonna blow his last name um i know you know it it starts with a b and i'm not sure how to pronounce it but anyway come and see that show it's amazing and then on the 19th, that's our gala, where November 19th, there we're going to have a celebration, an annual celebration that is really to introduce me to the Baltimore community, which I really appreciate. But we're also going to have music and dancing, and we're honoring the Honorable Jamie Raskin. 
Gotcha. So, yeah, that's our grand visionary honoree, the Honorable Jamie Raskin. And yes, Gage, uh, say that name again for me. Uh, Brenda. Brenda. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> He's a wonderful man because I spent time with him, but I, I have a little bit of a, a problem sometimes in pronouncing names I'm uncertain of, but it is actually Brenda. That's right. So. So thank you for that. And I, I hope you clean that up for me. I, I will. Absolutely, <laughs> I will. All right. So, uh, but yeah, it's been fun. Thank you. Um, so I, I guess I'll wrap up there. That was um, that's great. And uh, thank you for sharing those details of what's on the uh, the forefront and what's on the horizon. And I'm Rob Lee for Janine Whitfield of the AVAM, the American Visionary Art Museum, the new director of the American Visionary Art Museum. And we're saying that there's art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Oh,